Thank you, Wendy Mitchell. Amen. Wendy's been having a lot of problems with her voice, vocal cords rather, but I believe you've been healed. Amen. I believe you've been healed. God bless you, Wendy. Thank you so much for reminding us that our Lord is strong when we are weak. You know, by the way, if you don't feel like you're loved, you are. God loves you today. I hope you believe that. I really do. I hope you know how much God loves you. He gave His Son, the Lord Jesus, to die in our place for our sin. When we were at our worst, God was at His best and gave His best. God demonstrated His love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, that's when Jesus died for us. Amen? Amen. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 10. I want to pray for us before we begin today. I want you to join your hearts with me as I lead us in prayer. As we open up the Word of God to our hearts today, let's pray that we would have ears to hear and we would have a heart to discern God's Word for us personally. Amen? I pray you'll take this message personally as I've taken it personally this week. As I deliver this message today, it's for all of us. Father, in the name of Jesus... We invite you now, Lord, through the Holy Spirit of God to speak into our hearts. We desperately need you. We desperately love you, Lord. And I thank you that you first loved us and chose us to be your children. So, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that's a believer, that you would strengthen our faith, strengthen our resolve in you, Lord, that we would stay focused on you, And that, Lord, we would want to learn more about you and your way for us through your word. Lord, there's some in this room and watching by live stream today that doesn't know you as personal Savior. And I pray today, Father, that they would be saved today. Lord, that you would draw them by your Spirit, speak into their heart, and let them know, Lord, they need you. So, Lord, I pray today, Lord, that you would anoint me, anoint us today, that we would hear a word from you, Father. And I pray that we would apply it to our hearts and lives, that it would make such a difference in our life, that we could say, hey, it was good to be in the house of the Lord. So, Father, speak, O Lord, speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation chapter 10. Kind of unusual message for a baby dedication service, isn't it? But we're in a series in Revelation. We're going through the book of Revelations, verse by verse, if you will, chapter at a time. But the title is a very appropriate today, I think, for our children. The title of this message is The Mighty Angel and the Little Book. Now, that's a baby dedication title, isn't it? A Mighty Angel and the Little Book. We're going to talk about that today in chapter 10. Now, notice this. In chapter 7, right in between chapter 6 and chapter 8, there was a pause between all of the devastation. And now today, you'll notice in chapter 10... There's also a pause between chapter 9 and chapter 11 of all the tribulation, devastation we've been talking about for the past several weeks. And so today, John is taking us again to the throne room of God, and we're able to see this vision that God is giving John for us. And so we're going to talk about that today. So chapter 10 introduces us to another mighty angel. 
Now look in verses 1 through 3. I want to talk first of all today about the description of the mighty angel. We're going to look at this mighty angel, if you will, he refers to in chapter 1. And then we're going to look first of all at the description. How does John describe this mighty angel? Verses 1 through 3, chapter 10. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His faith face was like the sun and his feet was like pillars of fire. He had a little book opened in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and he set his left foot on the land and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And by the way, Ken and uh, Karen are here today and we were out in the, in, in the safari and we heard a lion roar. We saw a lion, a live lion, a live lion. wasn't in the zoo. Amen. It was in the safari. And so a lion roars. And by the way, if you never heard a real live lion roar, it is awesome. It really is. And so the lion roared like seven thunders uttered their voices. Now I want to draw your attention to verse number one when the Bible says, Still another angel. Still another. We've been talking a lot about the angels here in Revelation. Did you know that there's over 60 references to angels just in Revelation? 60 references to angels in Revelation. Now, what are angels? They're God's messengers. God has sent them to planet Earth, if you will, to do His ministry. And so the angels are here on earth, and so they're doing it. There's demonic angels on earth as well, by the way. We talked about that, I think, last Sunday. But another angel, another servant of God, we read about who's come to be involved or involved in what God's doing in heaven and on earth as well. And so the Bible has a lot of references to angels. Hebrews 1.14 says this, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Here's another reference. Listen to this one. Psalms 103, verse 20 and 21. Bless the Lord, you, his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all ye host, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Now, in verse number one, who is this mighty angel? Still another mighty angel. So, who is this mighty angel? Revelation chapter 5, verse 2, speaks of a strong angel. Here in verse 1, chapter 10, it's a mighty angel. So the strong angel may be a reference to Gabriel, could be. So who is this mighty angel who he's speaking of in verse number 1? Many believe it's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has appeared a lot, if you will, in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, capital A, by the way, when you see that in the Old Testament... That's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, God and Jesus are one. They were before even the creation. Let us create man, right? So Jesus was God in the beginning. And so he appears as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Now, we don't know for sure that this mighty angel was Christ, but I believe that it was. It could have been Michael, the archangel. We don't know. But I really believe it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking of, especially in verses 1 through 3. He gives a great description of this angel. And by the way, if you'll read chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 13 through 16, it's almost identical to the same description of Jesus when he came on the white horse there in Revelation 1. 
so we want to look at that today. And so in the Old Testament, there's a couple of references to the angel of the Lord. By the way, one of these is the pillar of fire. He said his feet was like a fire, a pillar of fire. Remember when, the, when God delivered Israel out of Egypt? Remember they went to the Red Sea? And remember by a cloud by night, verse 1 said he's in the cloud. A cloud led them. And then in the day, at nighttime, the pillar of fire led the Israelites. So there's a reference to the angel of God right there. Now let's look at this description, if you will, of the angel in verses 1 through 3. Number one, he was robed in a cloud. A cloud, often, a God often appears in a cloud in the scriptures. You know, we're going to be caught up in the rapture, by the way. We're going to be caught up in the clouds with the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's robed in a cloud, and there, cloud by day is our reference in the Old Testament. And then a rainbow was a, around his head. You remember, there was a rainbow around the throne in heaven. We talked about that. John showed us that rainbow around the throne. This rainbow is a symbol, if you will, of God's authority. And God's put a rainbow in the sky to show he's not going to destroy the earth by water anymore. So it's God's authority. And then his face, it says, was brilliant like the glory of the sun. It's like the sun, the brightness of his shining light. Jesus said, I am the light. I am the light. So his face was shining like a brilliant light. And notice his legs we talked about was like fiery pillars. By the way, this is a symbol of strength. It's also a symbol, as we sang a while ago, about the foundation. Christ is our foundation. He's my strength. And he's your strength as well. And notice what he had in his hand. This mighty angel had a little book or scroll if you will, in his hand. It gives evidence of his authority. We know that he was the one, the Lion of Judah. We talked about that. He was the one, only one worthy of opening up the scroll. And so now we find a little book, a little scroll in his hand. And then notice this. His right foot was on the sea, and his left foot was on the land. That symbolizes the conqueror of the world. Jesus is the conqueror of the world, is he not? He's conquered Satan, he's conquered sin, he's conquered the world. So one foot on the sea, one foot on the land is symbolic of his authority. And then he had a voice like the roar of a lion. And by the way, this was of the seven thunders, and it's symbolic of victorious king. You know, the lion roars after a catch or after a kill, and Jesus is victorious king. He is, by the way, the lion of Judah, is he not? Here's a great truth. I put it in your outline. I hope you'll take your outline and take some notes today. But here's a great truth. Satan roars like a lion to frighten his prey, but the lion of Judah roars to announce his victory over Satan. Amen. The lion of Judah. He's king. He's conqueror. And so I believe he speaks of him here. And then the mighty angel, when he sounds his voice, it's like the voices of seven thunders. God's voice is often compared to thunder in the Scripture. I'll never forget when I was a little boy living in Aiken, South Carolina. We had an African-American lady that took care of us. Her name was Corrine. And I'll never forget this. When it would storm, I was just little then. And uh, when, when it would storm, Corrine would tell. We, sometimes we'd get under the table. And we'd get, it would be storming. We'd get under the table. And Corrine said, you don't have to worry about that. That's God speaking. She told us that, and I was raised to believe it. It's God speaking. And so this is God speaking like seven thunders, amen, like a roaring lion. And so God speaks softly to us today. 
that small, that small steel voice is in our heart. But I'm telling you, during the tribulation period in the end times, it's going to be like a roaring lion. Everyone's going to hear him. Like seven thunders roaring. It's what the scripture talked about there in verse number 3. And so uh, Job refers to this. Job 37, 5. Listen to this. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding. Now listen to Psalms 29, verse 3 and 4. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Amen? God's like E.F. Hutton. When he speaks, folks listen. We better be listening. We better be listening. Because when God's speaking, he's speaking to us. He's speaking through his word. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to the world today. And the world's just not listening. And I pray that we would listen. Notice verse 4 in our text. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, John says. I was about to write that down. You know, he told me, write it down, write it down. I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up things, seal up the things which the seven thunders utter, and do not write them. It's kind of ironic, it really is, that God chose not to write, for John not to write down what the seven thunders uttered, and then all through the book, it's talking about unsealing, unsealing the scroll, and say this and say that. But for some reason, which we don't know, so I'm not going to try to spiritualize this thing or all of that. It doesn't, we don't know what the seven thunders say. John was going to write it down. And by the way, when we get to heaven, we can ask John, all right? By the way, we'll just ask Jesus. What did you say there in Revelation chapter 10? All right? But anyway, we don't know. You remember in uh, the Old Testament, Daniel 12, 9, what God told Daniel? Daniel, for these words closed up, are closed up and sealed for the time of the end. So there's a time when God speaks. There's a time when God says, you don't need to know this right now. And so we don't. All right? So that's the description of the mighty angel. So we see the description, which I believe is Christ, in verses 1 through 3 and 4. Now in verses 5 through 7, I want to look at the declaration of the mighty angel. What is this mighty angel declaring? What's his declaration? Look in verse 5 through 7. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven. His right hand, in some translations say his right hand. He raised his right hand to heaven and swore. He's taken an oath and swore by him. By who? God the creator. Look at it. Who lives forever and ever. Who created heaven and things that are in it. The earth and the things that are in it. And the sea and the things that are in it. That there should be, there should be delay no longer. In verse number 7, But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, that's the seventh trumpet. We had not gotten to the seventh trumpet yet. We've gotten through six of the seven trumpets of judgment. But he says, In the days of the seventh sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, and he declared to his servants the prophet, as he declared to his servants the prophet. So what is John declaring to us through this mighty angel in verses 5 through 7. Well, the mighty angel takes an oath. He takes an oath and swore by God the Creator. Now, he's raising his right hand like you would if you were on trial or you was a witness. 
They said, you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. So he raised his right hand. Now get a picture of this. The angel raises his right hand as to God, the creator, and swearing an oath. Now what is all of this about? What, what's this oath about? Well, God's swearing to himself, as he often did. He swore to himself that he, would, about, that he is going, look, look what he said here to the angel. And he swore to him who lives forever and ever, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpet, when he's about to sound, he's swearing to him, he's talking about this mystery of God. Now God, in the Scripture, watch this, in the Scripture, God often swore by himself. Let me give you an example. Look in Hebrews, if you will, chapter 6. Turn back to your left and look at Hebrews chapter 6. And I want you to see this, because this is very interesting, that he would take an oath. Now, remember, this mighty angel is a servant of God. Well, I believe it is Christ. So it looks, So what's happening is this mighty angel is swearing by God, God himself, that he is going to bring forth this judgment. And, it, and by the way, remember who's the judge is coming? It's Christ. Christ is the one that's going to judge the earth. God in Christ is coming back, the second coming. And he's going to judge planet earth. So he's raising his right hand, this mighty angel in heaven. This is all going on in the vision. John's seeing this. And the mighty angel's raising his hand, taking an oath. Now in Hebrews chapter 6, look what it says. Look in verse 13. Hebrews six thirteen. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. So he made an oath, God did, to Abraham. You remember that oath? Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. I'm going to make you over all the people of the earth. It's going to be like sands of the sea. And, and you're, going to, you're going to be a father of a great nation. And God swore, if you will, or made an oath, a pledge to Abraham by himself. By himself. And so you can't swear by anyone greater than God. Amen? But he swore by himself. And also, uh, he, he swore... In, in, a, in Acts chapter 2, verse 30, you don't have to turn there, but listen, it's be on the screen. Chapter, uh, Acts 2, 30, he also made an oath to David, to King David, that Christ would come from his lineage or from his family. Look, listen to what Acts 2, 30 says. Knowing that God had sworn, God had sworn with an oath to him, David, that of the fruit of his body, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne. God promised David, David, I'll make you king of Israel. And I promise you that through your lineage, that the Christ child is going to come through your lineage. And he made an oath to David. He made an oath to Abraham. And here in Revelation chapter 10, he's making an oath, if you will, by himself to the, the angel, which is the mighty angel, is making an oath unto God as, as we look at this judgment unfolding. And so... Uh, John emphasizes again that God is the creator. He's swearing by the God of creation to the heavens. And, and uh, notice the word there in chapter, uh, verse number 6. Notice the word delay. Look what he says in verse number 6 at the end. That there should be delay no longer. So again, you think about this. Now let's put it together. The One of the reasons he's swearing by this mighty angel, I am going to bring judgment. I promise you. I promise you, I swear to you, I'm bringing judgment on planet earth. And I'm not going to delay any longer. You remember the martyrs? 
Remember all of those in the Old Testament, even David, would say, Lord, how long are you going to labor? How long are you going to let evil rule on planet Earth? How long is our enemies going to defeat us? When are you coming? When are you coming? I promise you I'm coming. I promise you I'm coming. I'm going to judge the earth. And by the way, he just said, I'm not delaying any longer. You know what he meant by that? I'm going to talk to you just, I'm going to show you what he meant by that because I'm telling you it's so important. God has a time. His timing is perfect, by the way. And by the way, this is something Pastor Dustin needs to learn. This is something you need to learn that his timing is perfect. We get ahead of God, we put God on our agenda. Don't do that because here's why your expectations will let you down. We go through life, expect, well, I expected you to be here. I expected you to do this. I expected you to do that. You're going to be disappointed if you live by expectations. It's okay to expect things. But you say, God, I expected you to do that. Well, your ways are not my ways. Amen? He's on his agenda. So we got to have faith. we got to wait on the Lord. And we have been waiting. And some people will say, well, you know, God said he's coming back. It's been 2,000 years since Paul expected him to come back, all of that. That's right. But I'm telling you, the oath. That's why that's in there. I promise you, by the God of creation, that he's coming back. And the mystery, in verse number 7, the mystery is about to be unfolded. When my brother passed away in February, I'll never forget this as long as I live. My brother was, I didn't believe he was dying. I really didn't. I said, oh, it's going to be all right. He said, "Mm." he's smiling. He said, Dusty, I've seen the mystery. I've seen the mystery. I believe God spoke to him. He knew he was going. He knew it. He tried to prepare us. He said, I've seen the mystery. So what is the mystery? Look at verse 7. Let me just get to it. Look at verse 7. Look what he says. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel. By the way, it's in 11, 15. uh, Chapter 11, verse 15. It's when the seventh angel judgment, or seventh trumpet judgment is going to sound. And when it sounds, he says, he is about to sound. He's about to sound. We're going to get to it in a few weeks, all right? The mystery of God will be finished. The mystery of God will be finished as he declared to his servants the prophet. By the way, he also made an oath about that. He's fulfilling that promise as well. And so this mystery speaks of in verse number 7, the mystery of God. Look in look at Revelation 11:15. I'll just read it right now. We'll get to it. But look in Revelation 11:15. This is the seventh trumpet judgment. Then the seventh angel sounded. It's the seventh trumpet judgment, and there was a loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what Jesus meant on the cross when he said to Telestai. It is finished. It is finished. The mystery of the gospel. He who knew no sin became my sin that I might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's a mystery to the world. It's the gospel. And the mystery is unfolding right before our eyes. We know the truth. 
We know who He is. We know He's our Savior. We know He's our Lord. But the world doesn't know that. It's a mystery. And even the gospel has been a mystery for so long. Even disciples called it a mystery. And now Jesus said, the mystery is about to be finished. When I come back, the second coming, I'm telling you it's finished. And I'm bringing judgment to the world. And see, the mystery that we hold a lot in our, in our heart and in our mind is the age-old problem that we always ask. Why is there evil in the world? Why is there death? Why is there disaster? Why is there uh, disease? Why do bad things happen to good people? We're always asking that question. And, and it's a good question, right? Because God's a loving God. But there's evil in this world. This world's been tainted by sin. But one day, one day, and it's coming. And, and the Bible says, John said, I'm not going to delay any longer. It's coming. It's finished. He's going to take all of death, disease, and disaster, all of the sin, everything, in the final judgment. And he's going to judge it. And then we're going to be separated, the lost from the saved, forever and ever and ever and ever. And he will be conqueror because he is conqueror. Amen? Amen. I want you to listen to this quote. This will help us. It's going to be on the screen. It's by Walter Scott. And I found this quote. I really believe it really helps us to understand. Here's what it says. Does it not seem strange that Satan has been allowed for 6,000 years to wrap and twist his coils around the world, to work evil and spoil and mar the work of God? Is it not a mystery why God, the God of righteousness and holiness, allows evil to go unpunished and his own people to be crushed and broken on every hand? Truly, this is the mystery of God. God bears with evil till the hour of judgment arrives when he will avenge the cry of his elect and comes out of his place to punish the wicked. Evil, now tolerated and allowed, will be openly punished. The mystery is at an end. Christ is about to reign. Amen? That puts it in a nutshell. He's about to reign. So I'm telling you, you need to be saved today because I'm telling you, judgment's coming on planet Earth. It's coming back. Christ is coming back. So let me get to the third one. The description of the mighty angel, and then we heard the declaration of the mighty angel, but lastly, I want us to look at the direction of the mighty angel in verses 8 through 11. As we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, I want us to focus on the last few verses. Verse 8 through 11. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, John's writing here, he spoke to me again and said, John, go take the little book which is opened in the hand of the mighty angel who stands on the sea and stands on the earth. Verse 9, And so I went to the angel and said to him, Give me that little book. And he said to me, Well, take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, and it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. John said, Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I'd eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. You see, up to now, John has been like you and I. He's been a spectator. He's been looking into heaven, all this vision going on, and he's seeing all of this stuff, that futuristic happenings. 
It's going to happen one day and coming soon. And he's a spectator. But now, all of a sudden, he's the actor. He's involved, if you will, in the drama of the apocalypse. That sounds like a Broadway show, doesn't it? John starring in the drama of the apocalypse. So he's involved in it. And so we see the mystery of this little book. We don't know the content of the little book, but we know it's bittersweet. We know that because it brings that out. We don't know the context of that book, what was in there, but we do know it was bittersweet. Now, it seems like a very strange order to us for this angel to give John the book, and then God told him to eat it. I want you to eat that little book. That seems strange to us. But it happens the way God works on things. And it's all of this, again, is symbolic. You've got to understand that. What he's seeing, and we talked about this, a lot of these are symbols and symbolisms and symbolic to what we need to understand. So I want to try to help us with that just in the next few moments. So why was John told to eat this book? That's a strange direction. Strange command. But why was God chose to eat the book? Well, here's the principle in your outline. Here it is. It was not enough for John just to see the book or just to know its contents or hear its purpose. No, John had to receive its meaning into his inner being. It's like Hosea when he told Hosea to marry a a prostitute. He wanted Hosea to experience being rejected and all of those kind of things. You see, and God's telling John, John, you're seeing all this stuff. You're hearing all these angels and thunders and all that. Eat that little book and then let it get inside of you and then you can speak with authority. You can really tell the people in these next chapters coming up, really, what I want them to know. But you've got to experience that in you. Now, I want to tell you something. It's the same application. You say, how do we apply this? Here's how you apply it. It's the same thing for you and I. When you and I hear the Word of God, and you and I read the Word of God, it's got to get in here. Just hearing it, oh, good sermon, Pastor Dusty. Good teacher, good, good lesson, Sunday school teacher. Oh, I love reading the Word of God. Great. What are you doing with it? How is it affecting you? Has it gotten in here yet? Has it caused you to be different? Has it called you to act different, talk different, be different? That's what he's saying. You've got to get the Word of God in here. Amen? Instead of up here. It's got to be in here. And that's what he said. I want you to eat this. And then you can preach with authority or talk with authority. Several times in the in the uh, Word of God, it talks about food for Scripture. Let me give you briefly. Bread. The Word of God's called bread. Matthew 4, 4. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's called milk. Peter referred to the Word of God as milk. As newborn babies, 1 Peter 2, 2. As newborn babies desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. It's called meat. Paul called it meat in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, 2, 1 and 2. I feed you milk because you can't handle the meat of the Word. You're not ready for the meat. And then it's called honey, by the way. The Word of God's called honey. In Psalms 119, 103, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
You think it's strange here? The prophet Jeremiah, remember this? Jeremiah was told to eat God's Word. You remember that? Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words were to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. See, he was a weeping prophet, Jeremiah was. And he had a word for Israel. God said, I want you to eat these words. Now turn to Ezekiel chapter 2. Very quickly, because I need to hurry, but Ezekiel chapter 2. I want you to see this because it makes so much sense when you understand it. Amen? I bet when you read chapter 10, you said, I don't know, how in the world can we understand this? By the way, that's why we have preaching, to help us. Now, we don't know it all by no means. But when you study the Word of God under the anointing of God, God has a way to bring things out to you. Amen? So that's why you got to read the Bible. Now, you got to use your Bible. This is cross-reference. I just told you about Jeremiah eating God's Word. Now, watch this in Ezekiel chapter 2, look in verse number 8. This is why I love the Old Testament. I love to reference what we're talking about in the New Testament. Look in verse number 8. But you, son of man, this is Ezekiel, hear what I say to you. Don't be rebellious like the rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked there, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book. Here's another book. It was in it. Then he spread it before me. There was writing on the inside, writing on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mournings and woes, like Revelation. Now look in chapter 3, verse 1. Watch this. Moreover, he said to me. Now, this is God speaking and angels speaking as well. Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I want you to eat what I'm giving you here. Eat this word and then go speak to Israel. Look in verse 2. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat the scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate it, and it was in my mouth like honey. Wow. Verse 4. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. Do you see what God's doing here in Revelation 10 with John? John, I've been showing you all these things, and I know it's blowing your mind. But you see that mighty angel before you? I want you to take that scroll out of his hand and I want you to eat it. And I want you to deliver my message of Revelation, the apocalypse, to the world. And this is why we're going through Revelation. This is why we're teaching the Word of God. We want to understand as much as we can what God's speaking to us through John the Revelator. Amen? And so I hope that we are today and I know that you are. And so... I got so much. I got a clothes. But watch this. I want you to watch this. You remember, remember John? This is, watch this, Freddie. You remember John 1.14? In the beginning was God and the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know what that means in this text? It means this. God loved you so much that he became flesh to relate to you. So he could speak to us through Jesus. So we could see God in the flesh. And we could know God through Christ. He's saying the same thing with John. John, eat the book. Eat my word so you can present it to the people. Just like I became flesh so the people could relate to me. That's how much God loves us. That's how much he loves you today. Now watch this truth in your outline. God's word contains sweet promises and assurances. Can I get a witness? Amen. 
God's Word contains sweet promises and assurance, but it also contains bitter prophecies and warnings of judgment. You read the Word of God. Oh, I love that. That's a beautiful passage of Scripture. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. God so loved the world, blah, blah, blah. And then you come over to Revelation and other ones where he punishes things. He punishes sin. I don't like that part. He called that sin. I don't believe that's a sin. Well, you can take it up with God. It's in his word. Well, that's bitter, isn't it? That's why the word of God sometimes is bittersweet. There's promises in there that go in the mouth that taste like honey. But when it gets in the stomach, when it gets into your life, it's like bitterness. Because we're living in a tainted world and we have sinful flesh we got to deal with. And so when that word gets into our heart, it's like bitterness because God's working on you. It's like my mama when she used to give me castor oil. Amen? <laughs> Pour it in your mouth. Oh, I hate it, I hate it. It's going to do you good. It's not going to do me good. I can't see it doing me good. It is going to do you good. Right? That's what God's trying to do for you. There's some bitterness in here. But there's also some honey promises. Revelation of God. So John ate the book, and therefore he delivered its message. Let me close with this. What was that me- What is this message of John? I, I paraphrase it. I, I'll read it. The judgment of God are sweet in that they bring evil to a final and proper conclusion. When you read Revelation, evil is getting its course. It's running the course and it's bringing... That's the, that's the sweet part. The bitterness is because the wrath of God is devastating as it falls on unrepentant centers, sinners. We've seen that. All, you know, people who aren't saved, they're going to experience the wrath of God. That's why you need to be saved. Now, I want to close with this. You don't have to turn there. Just shut your, close your Bible. And I want to show you a passage of Scripture. It's going to be on the screen. I want you to read it off the screen, this part. Because I'm through, but I'm closing with this. Now, be ready to pull up that Corinthians passage. Watch this. What does this mean? What is God saying to us through John in this passage about, oh, it's going to be sweet in your mouth, but it's going to be bitter in your stomach. What does he mean by that? Because the bitterness, as I just told you, is the judgment of God. And the sweetness is our salvation in Christ. We've been delivered from this. Watch what Paul's saying. Watch this verse of Scripture. Now, thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through it diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. Next verse. Watch this. Watch it. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those... Who are perishing. Wait a minute for the next verse. Hold. Don't put it up yet. Every time you go to work. Every time you go to school. Every time you're around your family. You're either the fragrance of salvation. Or you're the fragrance of destruction. We are the fragrance of God in Christ. Christ. 
I'm a Christian. So when I'm around other Christians, oh, we love Christ, hallelujah, kumbaya, we're just having the best time. It's the fragrance of life. But when I'm around some folks who aren't saved, and they see me coming, they kind of do this. Preacher, preacher, preacher. You know why they do that? Because I'm the fragrance of death. Watch the next verse. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. But to the other, we're the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Now, I'm telling you, when you go out out these doors, you're going to be one or the other to to whoever you encounter. Either going to be life because you're a Christian, you have everlasting life, you represent that to your fragrance of your aroma, or you're going to be the aroma of death because they know you're a Christian and you represent judgment because God's going to judge sinners. So, here's my question. How are you smelling? How do you smell? Are you the fragrance of life? Are you the fragrance of death to those who are around you? Father, would you bless us today with this word? Would you speak, Lord, speak in our hearts? Lord, I pray now for this invitation. Oh, God, I pray you would save the lost. Some in this room, Lord, even as I'm preaching, I'm the fragrance of death to them because they know they don't have Christ. And they know if I died today, I, I would be separated from God forever and ever in a place called hell, eternal death. But they're hearing the word today, maybe by live stream. And they're hearing this message and they're saying, Oh, I need to get right with God. I want to get right with God. I'll do it one of these days. Today is the day of salvation. I'm praying today they'll come and be saved. God, would you just speak to our hearts right now? Save those who need to be saved. Those who need to come and repent. Those who just want to come to the altar and pray for someone. Those that want to join this church today. I pray you would speak, O oh Lord. Speak into our hearts and draw us to Jesus. Father, I pray for victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and would you come? We're going to have the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Maybe you want to come and talk to God about some of that or whatever it is. Whatever it is in your life, especially if you're lost today, we want to help you know how to be saved. And if you want to come for any other reason, the altar's open. We're here to help you. We would love to help you. You come on right now. As we sing, you come.